to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline and Kristen's on vacation, which is sad for all of us. But happily, today we have an interview for you with two of the members of the fantastic podcast, Black Girls Talking. We're talking to Alicia and Aurelia today. And we super enjoyed our conversation with these ladies. This is part two in our podcast summer camp, our podcasting women series. Uh, we've got a couple more of these for you guys to enjoy throughout the summer. Um, but yeah, today we're going to talk to Alicia and Aurelia and sort of get their perspective on some great things that are in the news and sort of how they practice self-care and how that ties in with feminism. So without further ado, let's roll the interview. Could you guys enlighten us as to the Black Girls Talking origin story and how you've managed to build this amazing long-distance podcast on top of these amazing long-distance friendships? Um, Well, we all met through Tumblr, (laughs) which is kind of ridiculous, but awesome. I, Aurelia and I were following each other for a while. Same with Fatima. Uh, Ramuna yeah. and I, I, Ramuna and I weren't following each other, but once the podcast kicked off, we, we followed each other, but I think we all knew of each other. Yeah, uh, we all like ran in the same circles. I think I actually followed all three of you. So yeah, we all talk online and we'd all laugh at, laugh at each other's jokes and complain together. And I think that's like the basis of a good friendship, being able to complain together. <laughs> So that's how it all started. Um, Fatima was actually the one who came up with the idea, though, because um, we would always talk about representation, and um, Fatima was the one who was, I guess, proactive about it. Yeah, she. I think she messaged all. Well, she put up a one post and was like, "I really want to do this thing, and if you're interested, just inbox me." And we were the only four people. That inboxed her, but I was like, I'll work behind the scenes, and she was like, No, you're gonna talk. So, <laughs> so yeah, but that's how it all came together. Fatima like put her foot down. It was like we're all gonna do this, and then we all just naturally fell in line, and that's we've been we've been friends ever since. So yeah, it really hasn't been that hard to maintain friendships because we're all pretty active online and even if we're not active like you know and publicly online we're always emailing and instant messaging or dming so it's been pretty easy to stay in contact plus we like each other so that yeah that's the big part we all like each other and like to talk to each other so yeah a very important part of a successful podcast (laughs) you gotta (laughs) like to talk to each other specifically um that's really interesting then that you all didn't sort of select self-select each other of like okay it's going to be us for Fatima put out a call and you all just happen to be the ones who answered I love that it's like podcast fate <laughs> it really is yeah we're the destiny child of podcasting <laughs> we're, we're the I think we like to call ourselves the en vogue of podcasting oh <laughs> I love that reference <laughs> Well, in a Hello Giggles article from 2013, we were reading, it said that you all had never met face-to-face. Is that still the case? No, we. I think we met, like, not long after that article went up. Yeah, we all met up in uh, New York City. Um, we had, like, a little, well, it was. it's weird because, well, it's not weird, but we met up, and then we had other Tumblr friends we met up with, 
in uh, New York. Yeah, and we're all friends with the same like group of people, so it wasn't as weird as it sounds. Saying it. <laughs> we all actually interacted and like knew each other beforehand. Yeah, so like when we met each other, it was, it was kind of just like I had to stop myself from calling Aurelia by her Tumblr name because <laughs> that's how familiar we were online. But yeah, we met each other. Um, I think it was two years, like in April or something. Yeah. And we hopefully have a meetup coming up within sooner than later. So why podcasting in particular? Well, I think when we started this, there wasn't really anything like it. I mean, fortunately, now that people have a lot of options. But, you know, three years ago, we were like, we're not hearing our voices really anywhere on the internet, whether it's like in the written word or on YouTube or in podcasts and podcasts seem like the most accessible thing at the time. Well, now that uh, a bit of time has passed, um, how do you feel about that representation now in the podcasting world? It seems like we've read a lot of articles about how the majority of podcasters tend to be white dudes. So do you feel like that representation is getting better? I'll just be honest and say no. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah please say, be honest. Uh, yeah, no, not I like, really. I mean, we're always like psyched when we're on lists of podcasters to listen to, but it's always like, listen to these people of color. And we can, I can always, I, I kind of gauge it by, are we on lists including like everyone, including white guys too, or is it just lists including like women or people of color? And it's normally just, you know, the latter. So I think when you can see these lists put out by people like say, I don't know, like NPR or Slate or whoever, like these big media conglomerates, when they start including all of us and not putting us in these like, and these boxes, then I'll know that it's finally becoming more accessible to everyone. But for now, it just, it's very, very, very white. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think with the circulation of lists articles like that, it's a lot of choir preaching. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems a lot more, it seems like things are improving a lot more and a lot faster than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the articles that we, we read on the blogs that we read are geared toward our demographic. So there's always going to be a list of, you know, 30 great podcasts by women and people of color. But, you know, if we're not getting funneled out into the mainstream, then the people that really need to be listening to this kind of stuff aren't listening to it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like all of these more recent trend pieces, which have, it seems like have been largely kicked off thanks to the success of Serial, um, on women in podcasting and the excitement around that are nice for finally paying attention to the fact that yes, women are making and hosting great podcasts. But like you said, the fact that it's still segmented off into the, its own little like corner is indicative that it's not there's progress but not really because there has to be the modifier of women or black women or you know these these specific kinds of podcasters or or listeners slash readers of blogs are being told like well no this isn't for you this is just for women or this is just for women of color you won't be interested it's almost like that's the message that's being sent there 
we hear a lot, like, people will pick up our show and say, oh, my God, you know, after listening to a couple episodes, I really love it. I didn't think it was going to be for me. Mm-hmm. Or people who even listen to it and say, you know, this podcast isn't necessarily for me, but I needed to hear it. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's and, great. And that's what a surprise to us, too, like how how open people have been to us. So I think like, historically, or I don't know, I at first I thought that maybe calling it Black Girls Talking was going to, well, first I was like, well, we're Black Girls and we're talking, and we want other Black Girls to know that we're talking about Black Girl stuff, so this is great. And then as time went on, I was like, well, maybe people aren't listening because... I don't know, maybe black is like a negative connotation for them, which I don't know why it would be, because it's awesome. But I think for a lot of people, they're just kind of like black. Eh. I think that's slowly changing. And like I said earlier, I was, I continue to be surprised when we get like, you know, white people from like middle America who are like, awesome podcast. <laughs> like us. Hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So on Black Girls Talking, can you talk a little bit, especially for listeners of ours who haven't heard the podcast, some of your personal favorite things to talk about, particularly with these other three women? Uh, everything, really. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's one thing that we've covered where it has been like unpleasant to talk about. Even when we disagree, it's still a pleasant conversation. Yeah. And I feel like we all learn something because we all come from, we all do come from different backgrounds. So, um, we talk about, I mean, because we talk about pop culture, we'll talk about, uh, like feminist issues, social issues. We talk about everything. So it can be serious. Like in our last podcast, um, we're talking about the racial, Dolezal fiasco, or we can be talking about Drake, which, well, I talk about Drake. (laughs) (laughs) So what then are a couple of the most meaningful conversations that stand out to both of you? You know what? As frivolous as it may sound, I love it when we do our self-care episodes and like our beauty episodes, because that's something that, at least for me, there wasn't really a community of women who look like me giving, you know, makeup tips or like how to keep your skin nice or how to keep your hair nice. Like that's not, that's not a common thing. So it's really great when I get to talk to my girlfriends about it and, you know, send that out to other people who might not have girlfriends like mine to talk about it. I really love when we talk about, I love talking about beauty, of course. Um, I also, I really, the conversations I think, I, the conversations I love the most, I think, though, are when we get into issues surrounding black womanhood. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I live in Phoenix and there aren't many black people or black women who, uh, it's not, it's not something you want to come out and say, hey, I'm a feminist. It's such a conservative area. Like it's, we're in a red state, a crazy red state. So it's nice when I can connect with three other, like, very intelligent and loving women and talk about things that directly concern us. So yeah, it, it really, it's just touching for me and it's like really reaffirming and kind of like validates, like my, it validates my feelings or maybe my sadness or my anger around these issues. I don't feel like I'm, I'm just going nuts when I can talk to Aurelia Fatima and Ramu about things that are weighing on my heart like that. Well, I mean, speaking of waving your feminist flag, your black feminist flag, um, what does feminism mean to each of you in terms of that concept of self-care? That's a hard one. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's actually really easy because maybe to me, feminism is self-care. 
Yeah. Like self-care is putting myself first and doing the best thing I can do for myself and for my mental health and for my physical health. And feminism does that. Feminism is me not allowing other people to put me last. Yeah, I think for me, feminism and self-care, like, it's a verb. It's not, it's a thing that's constantly in motion. And I, I think when I'm, I'm always focused on self-care. And I think before I used to think, well, this is, this is just me being vain or selfish or a narcissist. I don't know. But I think knowing how, how good these things are for my mental state, I think that's feminism. Being, being able to, to step outside of what society is telling you and say, no, this is and not this is kind of like a revolutionary act for me as a black woman to just say, no, I'm I'm, I'm putting aside time for myself. Yeah, that's a big like that's a big thing. It's like just sometimes it feels like just existing as a black woman and being, you know, vulnerable or just being present in this world as a black woman seems like a revolutionary act a lot of the time, especially in the current climate. Well, it seems like, too, even allowing women to consider and value their own self-care and feminism as self-care is a revolutionary act because I think there's often this perception that self-care for women in particular is just selfishness or vanity. So I I, I love how you all have framed feminism as an extension of that because, I mean, honestly, before listening to black girls talking and the conversations you've had around it, I hadn't even considered that angle before. Oh yeah. I think anytime you can take care of yourself, like I think a lot lot of times I think we were kind of, we're kind of told to just suck it up and bear through whatever we're going through, but you can't, you can't go on like that. Like you'll eventually break down and what good are you to yourself or anybody else? If you're just frazzled, you know? So I think just taking time to say, look, this is, I love myself and I'm going to take some time to care for myself. I think that's, that is feminism just as much as, you know, protesting is. I think that at least, you know, we talk about like second wave feminism versus whatever, whatever. But I think a lot of times people think of things as vanity and they put, you know, not wearing makeup or not doing your hair or not whatever, whatever, putting it on a pedestal when really it's about letting women do whatever it is that makes them feel good. If for you that means not wearing makeup, then that's fine. And if for somebody else it means wearing everything that they have in Ulta on that day, then that's fine too. <laughs> and I think a lot of times that these, that these kind of like archaic, uh, I, I, the whole don't don't wear don't dress up or don't wear makeup if you want to be taken seriously. I feel like those are concepts that were put in place by patriarchy, and so by actually saying, "Hey, this lip gloss is fun, though," like you're kind of like you're confronting patriarchy and you're unlearning all these things that have been ingrained into us by society. So, and even if you don't want to, want to wear makeup, that's cool too. But I think just to kind of say this one thing is feminist, or this one thing isn't feminist. That's so harmful, and you have to kind of step back and, and ask yourself how what we have learned could possibly be harming us and others. And mm-hmm. just wearing makeup is like you know, or deciding that you're gonna you're gonna present yourself in a certain way. It's just a small way of confronting patriarchy, I think. So what I'm hearing is that we all need to come up with our new brand of lip gloss. 
It's going to be like, <laughs> smash the patriarchy lip gloss. Or maybe that's, that's the name perfect. of a color. <laughs> that would be awesome. Like the brightest red could be smash the patriarchy. Yes. Right. <laughs> perfect. I love it. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll be in contact about setting up our new cosmetic company. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to hear more from these fantastic ladies when we come right back from a quick break. In terms of self-care and actually letting yourself enjoy things that so many other people have said, you shouldn't enjoy this. Feminists don't enjoy this. I really think pop culture is part of that. And you guys have actually talked a lot about that in terms of loving pop culture, talking about Drake, adoring Beyonce's music videos. And so I want to know a little bit more from you about how that ties in with your concept of self-care and sort of escaping the the day to day realities. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a complicated question. Um, but I think it basically it boils down to we all consume problematic media, and you have to learn how to do that and not drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we've we've had this conversation on the show before. And for me, you know, watching something like give an example like how to get away with murder and seeing viola davis as this beautiful capable desirable flawed person is like the greatest escape ever because that never happens in real life yeah i think for me uh i I just refuse to deny myself pleasure so I, I feel like I've done that for so long. And at a certain point, I was just like, no, I'm, I'm going to enjoy myself. I don't, I'm not hurting anyone. All I'm doing is enjoying myself. And in turn, I'm a much more pleasurable person to be around when I'm enjoying myself. So yeah. and I think also, I mean, as far as like reality, I cannot escape my reality. I don't think any, like as a woman, as a black woman, my reality, it's inescapable. And so I don't need to be constantly watching the news or reading or reading, you know, textbooks full of theory in order to stay connected or stay grounded with who who I am, what my reality is. It's okay to enjoy myself. And I love watching other I love watching, you know, I love reading gossip. I'll admit it. I love reading gossip blogs. <laughs> I love watching trash TV. I love listening to music and dancing in my underwear. It's, it's just who I am. And I think. I'm not, there's no need to feel guilty for that. And a lot of times I gravitate towards, I gravitate mostly towards, uh, you know, music and TV. That's because I can see people who look like me, especially within music. And I can see people who I relate to, like, on, you know, an emotional level through TV and through music. So... I think, I think that's the case for everyone. I don't. I don't understand people who don't engage in pop culture. I'm like, why not? It's so awesome, and you can, <laughs> like, you can see yourself reflected. And who doesn't want? Who doesn't want that? It's like, just be real. Like, who doesn't want to see themselves reflected within the world? So, yeah, that's how I. That's just how I just. I justify it, I guess, by just not denying myself pleasure and just you know enjoying myself. And let's be honest, people that you know tell you that they don't watch TV or they don't go to the movies because they think they're better than that and why don't you just go to a museum are forgetting the fact that all the art that's hanging up in the museums were the pop culture of their time. <laughs> yeah. 
And also, like, we can do all of these things. Like, we're not, it doesn't mean we're at home, we're just watching TV and we're refusing to actually, like, step outside our, our homes to pursue culture. Yeah. Like, we can do all of these things. It's just, I don't, people just really come down on TV and the things that I think women specifically like. And it's just, it's so played out. Like, just leave us alone. Let us enjoy ourselves. <laughs> You're saying women can be complex and enjoy all sorts of things that sometimes don't all match up and make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's shocker. an amazing concept. I know. Wow. This is wild. This is wild <laughs> stuff we're talking about today. Yeah, this is going to be a groundbreaking conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I also think part of it is, like, this is the last taboo at least in my family because i don't fight with i don't go to thanksgiving and fight with my family about like you know laws or gay marriage or you know my rights as a black woman or police brutality because we all agree on these things yeah what we don't agree on are things like how do you feel about beyonce how do you feel about Nicki minaj respectability politics mm-hmm. is like the last big hurdle in my family that I'm trying to get everybody past. Yeah, I'd say that's the same for me. <laughs> yeah, that you've got to, according to some ephemeral rules, that you have to dress a certain way. You know, my mother is big on pearls. Get over it, Mom. I'm not wearing pearls. <laughs> <laughs> it's always that heated pearl debate that Caroline's thinks. Yeah, the heated pearl debate every year. Well, and part of it's weird because I, you know, dress how I dress and everybody's okay with it and that just happens to be how i you know feel good about myself and fortunately nobody's hassling me about it but me doing my thing doesn't mean that Nicki minaj has to do my thing or beyonce has to do my thing or that i can't enjoy their thing yeah yeah it's about letting women be it's about like letting women govern themselves yeah speaking of how to dress and beyonce one of at least for me one of the most disappointing things that we have experienced with our podcast audience was after we did an episode on Beyonce's feminism. We heard from not an overwhelming amount of people, but enough people that it was uh, troubling who said Beyonce can't be a feminist role model because she dresses and dances too sexily. And it was so disheartening because I mean, on, on so many Levels. So, do you have any any insight to help help unpack why why those two can coexist? Well, here's the thing. What it comes down to is, at least right now in the current culture, you can't slut shame anybody except for women of color, mm-hmm. except for black women specifically. You can slut shame them as much as you want, apparently. I think um, a lot of it just. <laughs> I think Beyonce catches so much flack, and I'm gonna straight up say I'm like I'm a huge Beyonce stan. I have been since I was a teenager, <laughs> um, and so uh, I am very biased towards uh, Queen Bee. But I think a lot of the people just don't want to see a black woman thriving to the extent that Beyonce is thriving. I think. Um, Beyonce, the way she presents herself and the way she dances and the way she conveys herself through her lyrics is not very different from, say, the the white pop stars of today. But I'm always side-eyeing when people come for Beyonce. Meanwhile, you have, say, like a Lady Gaga or, I don't know, whoever the white pop stars are. I admittedly do not follow them. But I, whoever they are, the criticism is never equal. 
And so I think people really have to confront their feelings about black women, first of all, before you can even start to accept Beyonce as her own person. Yeah. I mean, if it comes down to what's the the thing in the, there's a magazine that's coming out now or is coming out soon about Miley Cyrus and how how it's so wonderful that Miley Cyrus is exploring her sexuality and identifying herself as sort of pansexual and gender fluid and all of this other business. But, you know, but Nicki Minaj is just a slut. Right. And it's things are so reductive and just like stupid when you hear these arguments. Because you're like, you can, they bring out all the feminist buzzwords for a Molly Cyrus or a Taylor Swift. And these piece, and these two people, just as an example, or a Katy Perry, you can still be but studying Beyonce. <laughs> so it's yeah. so weird for them to like hold these people up as an example of femininity done the right way. When they're taking cues from Beyonce, but also I think as far as the whole feminist conversation goes, I had to disengage because it was just so like infuriating just as a black woman as and as a Beyonce fan to constantly <laughs> be like, you're not listening. So, but I think people kind of have to reevaluate what they consider feminist and where their feminism stance, uh, stems from. I think for a lot of women of color, like I said earlier, feminism is a verb. It was learned by, we learned it by, from our mothers and our grandmothers and our, our aunts and other women in our lives. And it wasn't something we had to go to, you know, academia to learn. It was something that was ingrained into us within our communities. And I think a lot of people gravitate towards Beyonce because she's been able to She's been able to show that throughout her music. So she's always had these really like pro women stance stances in her music, even with Destiny's Child. And she'd always talk about how her mom instilled all these things into her. And so it's so relatable when you step outside of whatever you're holding against black women. <laughs> and you can and you just take the message for what it is. And the message is empowerment. It's, it's, it's you don't need a man to be successful. It's cool if you have one. Love is awesome, but I could be just as awesome without this man. Or you don't have to you don't have to be career focused all the time. You can have a baby and love this baby with all your heart. And you can be a mom and still be and still be focused on, you know, your career. If you want to, you can exercise and look awesome and still be a feminist and still be a mom and still be a mogul. Like you can do all of these things. And I just don't see the role. I just don't see how people can reduce that too. Well, she has her butt out again. Well, her butt's awesome. If I had that butt, I'd have it out all day too. <laughs> <laughs> like just be reasonable. I know, right? Yeah, like our new our new uh work dress code is is no pants. <laughs> but I mean that can be the dress code in podcasting, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Who's to say whether our, we all our, are wearing our pants? Code, <laughs> our dress code is usually caftans. Oh, oh that sounds wonderful. Nice. nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like this Beyonce conversation actually relates directly to um, something we wanted to talk about in terms of the conversation on black girls talking about the yes, all women hashtag and that tendency of white feminists in particular to exercise some double standards, a lot of erasures and tokenizing of black women's lived experiences and values. And as a white feminist, who has likely been guilty of one or all of these kinds of things? 
how do I improve my intersectionality? And is me even asking this question part of the problem? Um, I think I'm okay. I'll just real talk. I am whenever I'm on Twitter and I'm just kind of making jokes or maybe I'm having like pointed discussions, which lately isn't really the case for me on Twitter. No, right now it's just skincare and uh, my obsession with dirtbag rappers. But normally whenever I'm trying to have like a conversation and someone interrupts and they're like, well, how can I? And I'm just like, oh, God, please don't like please just Google and come back to this conversation. (laughs) But I also think that at some point you're going to, we do have to not handhold, not like hold hands with, you know, white feminists and guide them. But I think we do have to be somewhat open to creating this dialogue with people who are actively trying to be better. So, I'll send, I, so for me, the most I can do, <laughs> uh, what I'm, what I'm best at is sending people resources. So, you know, you can read these books or you can read these blogs or that's, that's how I engage with that. I think Aurelia and Ramu and Fatima are a lot more engaging, whereas I'm just like, just, you know, here's some stuff for you to read. <laughs> um, I, I do think it's, uh, I don't, so I don't think it's an issue that you're asking. I think it's no. just an issue of how you ask. Like if you're genuinely, if you're genuinely interested, and you're not just trying to come off as you know the good white feminist. If you're actually interested in learning these things and you're taking the advice, then that's it's great that you're asking. And yeah. I think the the best way for you to confront all the double standards and mainstream feminism is just to kind of like be aware of your entitlement as, and your privilege as a white woman. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. it's tough. It's really tough. I know. Like even there's, I ha- there are privileges I hold even within my community and it's tough having to confront those before I step into a conversation. But I think that has to be at the forefront of your mind is being mindful of the space you might be taking up and being mindful of the voices you could be exalting in favor of yours. Yeah, I think, well, the easiest example that I could, I always give people when they ask stuff like this is, you know, you think of society or you think of feminism as a house. And you think of, you know, the house as a, you know, basement, foundation, you know, main floor, top floor, attic, roof, all that kind of business. And the only, and let's say this house is sinking. And that's because, you know, the, the foundation of this house isn't being nurtured. And the foundation of this house isn't being cared for. And you can add as many floors as you want or fix up the rest of the house as much as you want. That house is still going to sink if the foundation's not right. So the only way to lift this house is to lift the foundation. And so if you think of those of us in society with the least amount of privilege... And I, and, and this is something that I have to think about myself because I, again, I hold privileges and I am totally open about that. And so when these conversations come around, I don't try to insert myself in conversations that aren't about me. But, you know, you try to lift the foundation as much as you can and you repair it and you nurture it and you care for it. And that's the only way that this house is going to get back to where it needs to be and be sturdy and be strong and hold up for the next thousand years. That's good, Aurelia. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's not the first time you've had to answer this question, too. So you've got some practice. 
<laughs> and, and one thing that came to my mind too is you're talking about resources and checking privilege and all of that is what you all had said earlier of feminism and feminist, excuse me, is a verb. So it requires action on our parts and not just maybe sitting passively and raising our hand and allowing someone else to do the work for us in terms of telling us what to do. And then when you have privileges, it's it you, being a verb is also using your privilege to help the situation, but not using it to talk over the people that the conversation is about when the conversation is about somebody other than yourself. I think people hear privilege and they automatically think that I think they automatically turn to guilt as if they should feel guilty or like renounce their privilege. Like you can't, you can't, there's no way to renounce a privilege. So I think you just have to, like I said, you just have to be mindful of how this privilege makes your life maybe easier than the next person's life. And yeah, just you and figure out how you can level the playing field as much as you can. So it's not about feeling guilty and kind of wallowing in that guilt and apologizing. Apologies really mean nothing. Action is what is going, action is what we all need. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, you know, your answer to Kristen's question about the Yes All Women hashtag and intersectionality really made me think about your conversation with Janet Mock, which is fascinating, and I was absolutely hanging on every word of that episode. Um, but, you know, you guys touched on that concept of the hand-holding of white feminists. But so that being said, do your personal desires to have your voices heard and have your creative work recognized, do those feel overshadowed by expectations to represent an answer for your culture at large? I'd say absolutely not. I've made it pretty clear that I live my life for myself and I do my work for myself when it's personal work. I think, uh, uh, yeah, we're not a monolith. Yeah. <laughs> we're all very complex people. I think it's just like, you know, it's kind of like when a, like if a man were to go to just a group of women and be like, why do you guys do this? Right. Like it's, no one can give you a concrete answer. Like we're all, we're all individuals. And I think, um, maybe a lot, I think a lot of people, their ideas of black folks are formed by what we see in the media and on TV. And it's always like just very, it's, it's either, you know, it's either love and hip hop or it's a Tyler Perry show. So like there's no in between. So people are confused if they don't actually know black people. Um, so I think the the best thing I can do is just be Alicia. And the best thing anybody else can do is just be themselves and not try to answer for everyone as for the entire race. You can't do it. You will kill yourself trying to be responsible and accountable for every black experience. Like I like even like what is the black experience, you know? Yeah. Like it's so vast. So I think for us we're just focused on being true to ourselves and putting that out into the universe. And sometimes people want us to talk, sometimes people want us to talk about, you know, the, whatever the hot topic is on Twitter or, you know, black Twitter. And sometimes we're just like, well, but we want to talk about this or this is what's happening in our lives. So I think the best thing you can do is just create your own narrative. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? You, you know, the old respectability politics thing that hops back up is like, well, you have to represent everybody because if somebody sees you, they're going to think that all black folks act like that. And well, that's their problem. That's not your problem. Exactly. That's not my problem. 
if you if somebody is a racist, that's not my problem. Yeah, it's me, not my fault. Me tweeting Bible quotes all day is not going to change your racist opinion yeah. of what you know who a black woman is. So at the end just, of the day, it, it just makes you serve to be well. I like you because you're one of the good ones. Right, that whole <laughs> issue of exceptionalism. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like, I'm just going to be true to myself. And I'm just going to tweet about how how cute Drake is. And maybe sometimes I'll tweet about how awful racism is. But I'm never going to put myself in a box because other people might be watching. Like, that's just no way for anyone to live. Mm-mm. I don't live in a zoo. I live in my life. Exactly. <laughs> And from where Caroline and I are sitting, recognizing and checking the white privilege that fosters that kind of exceptionalism and doing our part to not feed into that and to feed into respectability politics is important as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely part of the work. And I think, I know it can be, there's so, responsibility politics is so like ingrained into the black community. So as an outsider looking in, it can just look like, like, like where do I even start? And it's okay to not know what's going on because it's not part of your culture, you know? But I think you just have to be mindful that there may be struggles you're not going to understand, but you can still respond to them in a respectful way. Or don't if you don't feel like you can't. Like, yeah, it's don't. okay to not say anything. Yeah, for sure. I think there's so many things that we see going on that we're just like, well, we don't know, so we just kind of don't. We don't address them, or we educate ourselves, or we get somebody else to come in and speak on their experiences. So, yeah, if you there are so many things that I just don't get that are currently going on in the world, but being a human, <laughs> I can empathize and I can understand that. Maybe it's just not my place to know. Do you get a lot, because you guys have such an amazing podcast and your voices are all so unique, do you get a lot of that from people being like, well, but I need you to explain, I need you to explain black women to me. Like, do you we get used that a to, lot? But, but that stops. We used to, but we made, we, we, we made sure that stopped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I think we've been, I love that we've been, like, we're all, like, we're all being pretty, you know, cool people. I think we're all very, like, ex- open and accessible, at least, you know, online, and we're not, like, very standoffish. But about that, we all kind of closed in ranks, like, uh-uh. No. <laughs> this is not a podcast for you, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's okay for you to move on. It's okay. (laughs) Well, and this also drives home to the importance of learning how to listen without necessarily needing to respond. And uh, Black Girls Talking, I mean, it's why everyone should listen to Black Girls Talking, because it will teach you, if anything, how to listen. Just sit and listen. (laughs) Put your headphones on. Yeah. Yep. Um, (laughs) At least from where I'm sitting. Yeah, or maybe it's just no, me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> all, that's all we ask anybody to do is, you know, sit and subscribe and listen. Yeah. Put on your caftan. <laughs> listen to the show. Yeah. Get a nice cold glass of Moscato if you must. Yeah. Uh, perfect. I want to be there right now. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to be like out on out on a porch with some Moscato and a caftan. Yeah. Listening to you all. We're uh, Golden Girls 2.0. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> And that may have been a question that we answered on the podcast. Was, yeah, we which did. Golden girl, we each were. <laughs> oh, which one? Yeah. Well, since you're here, I mean, what were your answers? I was a mix between Sophia and uh, Blanche. But, yeah, Blanche. No, we were all Blanche. We were all Blanche. <laughs> no, we were all Blanche. 
I was Sophia because of my uh, apprehension towards the youths. <laughs> we were all Blanche and nobody was Rose. Yeah, nobody was Rose. Oh, bless her heart. <laughs> all Rose. <laughs> but there's probably a Rose listening and she's so confused right now. <laughs> we love you, Rose. We do, we do truly love you, Rose. You bring so much sunshine to this world. <laughs> So what is next for Black Girls Talking and when are you getting a TV show? Because I um, love listening to you. Whenever somebody wants to give us one, whenever somebody <laughs> wants to give us one, we are ready for it. Oprah, are you out there? We're ready. <laughs> I ask that every day. Oprah, are you out there? Are you there, yeah. Oprah? It's me, Kristen. It's me. It's me, Caroline. Do you guys follow Oprah on Instagram? Do we? I don't you know. Man, it's great. Oh, my Her- gosh. I'm Her clearly Instagram not living artists. my best life. No. Her Instagram all day. Yeah, it's so soothing to watch her in her garden. <laughs> and she makes videos where she's like holding a head of lettuce. It's awesome. Mm. I do follow the O Magazine Pinterest, which is like the epitome of, um, uh, what's the word? Aspirational living. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, please, Oprah, give me more quotes to live by. Yes. <laughs> I follow Oprah on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Pinterest. (laughs) It's just wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) So where can listeners go to learn more about Black Girls Talking, to listen, to read what you're reading, follow what you're following, learn about all of you wonderful hosts, all that good stuff? BlackGirlsTalking.com. That has links to everything. Yeah, and if you go to our Twitter uh, specifically, you can find all of our Twitter feeds. So if you go to, it's BLK Girls Talking, that's our Twitter handle, and you'll be able to find all of us on Twitter through that one handle. Yeah, and subscribe to the podcast. That's how you don't miss anything. So if you have an iPhone or iTunes, subscribe through iTunes. If you don't, um, Stitcher mm-hmm. or SoundCloud. Yeah, and that's all. All those links are on blackgirlstalking.com. Yep. So I just want to say thank you so much to Alicia and Aurelia from Black Girls Talking. If you want to hear more about them or learn more about their podcast, just head on over to blackgirlstalking.com. And we want to hear from you now. What did you think about our conversation with these women and, and the things that we talked about today? We're, we're really interested in hearing from you. You can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can tweet us at momstuffpodcast or message us on Facebook. And we have a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I have a letter here from Pearl in response to our Women on the $10 Bill episode, our $10 Women episode. She says, I'm a huge fan of your podcast and was really excited to listen to the episode about women on the $10 bill. I agree that the current proposal is not nearly good enough and that a woman should be featured alone on the 20. I appreciated hearing about the numerous options of very qualified women to grace the redesigned note, but there was one woman who wasn't mentioned who deserves consideration, Frances Perkins. In addition to being the nation's first female member of a presidential cabinet, late Labor Secretary Perkins did more for working Americans than any other person in the nation's history. 
Before joining FDR's cabinet, Perkins was a tireless advocate for working people in New York State and saw firsthand the horrible working conditions that many workers, especially women, faced in factories when she personally witnessed the horrors of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire from the streets below. She fought hard for the creation of a minimum wage and an unemployment insurance program, as well as developed some of the nation's first child labor laws. As labor secretary, she practically built FDR's New Deal and worked to create the first social safety net in the country, Social Security. Secretary Perkins' work has touched the lives of pretty much every American, and she is well worthy of a place on currency. Secretary Perkins is a hero of mine for many reasons, several of which I've already described. She also did something that holds a special place in my heart. She fought in court to keep her name when she was married. As a fellow kept her name when she married lady, that act made me feel that we would have been great friends had we been alive at the same time. And as a fourth-generation union member who works for a union, her victories for working people will always make me think of her as one of our greatest Americans. If you'd like to read more about Secretary Perkins' life and work, I highly recommend Kristen Downey's biography, The Woman Behind the New Deal. Thanks for all your great work on the podcast, and who knows, maybe Sminty could show Francis Perkins some podcasting love. Well, Pearl, I think that sounds like a great idea. And speaking of recommendations, we've got a letter here from Fiona in response to our Empresses of Science Fiction episode. She says, I've finally gotten around to listening to The Empresses of Science Fiction, which is awesome. I'm writing because I've fallen in love with a wonderful novel, Midnight Robber by Nalo Hawkinson. It's a far future story of interplanetary travel and artificially intelligent nanotech, but it's grounded in Caribbean dialect and the structure of Anansi stories, i.e. West African and Caribbean folktales. It's also deeply feminist, not in the sense of having a political agenda, but in the sense of unapologetically and unflinchingly exploring the experience of a woman living in a difficult world. If I wasn't busy evangelizing about Midnight Robber, I'd also be shouting from the rooftops about two other awesome novels, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel explores the impact of a devastating pandemic on individuals and on culture. The 15 Lives of Harry August by Claire North is easily the most interesting and fresh take on time travel that I've ever come across. Both are great reads and definitely a bit of a quicker read than Midnight Robber for anyone who finds Hopkinson's Caribbean English difficult to follow. Thank you for a great episode. Time for me to comb through your list and decide what's next for me. So thank you, Fiona, and thanks to everyone for writing in. We love hearing from you. For links to all of our social media and to our sources so you can follow along, visit StuffMomNeverToldYou.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com 